Hello and welcome to the InstaFame podcast. My name is Ella May and I'll be your host. I am an Instagram strategist, success coach, and the creator of the InstaFame formula. I am obsessed with helping aspiring entrepreneurs and established brands learn exactly what to do to grow their Instagram account and turn it into a money-making machine. I absolutely love helping you up-level your life, your business, your marketing, and helping you see the infinite potential within yourself to be, do, and have anything that you want using Instagram. It is my duty and obsession to give the tools, the resources, strategies, and teachings to help you get the success and lifestyle you're looking for. In this podcast, you're going to hear lots about Instagram and how to use it to its full potential, business building strategies, and how to create a life you absolutely love. Consider this podcast your daily dose of success strategies to maximize your impact, your influence, and your development. I'm going to make sure you not only know how to get the most out of Instagram, but also that you're making an income from it. Because let's face it, if you're putting time, money, and effort into something, you should be getting a rate of return on it. If you're ready to get your ass kicked to the next level when it comes to killing it in your business and on Instagram, you've come to the right place. Want to make sure you don't miss anything? Be sure to hit the subscribe button. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Now let's begin. Welcome back to the InstaFame podcast. Thank you again for tuning in. I love this episode. Joanna Voss is a boss. I know that rhymes. So she's a talent manager trusted by massive social media influencers who want clarity on how to build their brand, build their brands, grow their businesses, earn their worth, and plan strategically for the future. So on behalf of her clients, she's closed almost a million dollars of brand deals, partnerships, speaking engagements. Her clients have partnered with brands such as Kroger, Walmart, AARP, Little Northern Bakehouse, H&R Block, Aldi. Like these are not small brands. Negotiation is one of her strong points. That's something we get into in the podcast. Whether you want to be an influencer or you just have a business or you want to start a business, this is the episode you want to listen to. We go into how to work with different types of companies, different clients, going back and forth, how to price yourself, etc. So, so valuable. So we go into her journey of entrepreneurship, how her business has pivoted over the years, how one client changed the whole course of her business. She manages to thrive on a commission-only structure. We talk about that as well as so much more. Enjoy this episode. If there was any key takeaways, take a screenshot, post it on your Instagram, tag me and Joanna so we can share it. And as always, enjoy the show. So welcome back to the Instafame podcast. Thank you for being here. I am so excited to have Joanna Voss here. Uh, we actually connected through a mutual friend very randomly over social media. And this woman has such a cool area of expertise, a cool story. She is a talent manager. She's trusted by social media influencers who want clarity on how to build their brands, uh, build, grow their businesses and really earn their worth and plan strategically around what they want to create. She's worked with some huge names that she's going to tell you about. And on, and like, honestly, it, it sounds like, I mean, I think you have, but you've closed over a million dollars in mm -hmm. deals, correct? Correct. 
It's insane. So cool. So thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. I'm super excited and thanks for having me. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your background, your story and how you came to where you are today. Oh, so like every entrepreneur, that is a juicy roller coaster one um, that of course is like no direct line right from start to finish. Um, I worked for eight years as a political organizer out of college, worked on two political, uh, two presidential campaigns. I worked on John Kerry's campaigns, so that totally dates me. And then Hillary Clinton's first presidential campaign. Wow. Um, did everything in between. I worked in New Hampshire. So city council, Townsings, all the way up to U.S. Senate, Congress, and honestly, like all the, all the positions in between I worked on for eight years. Loved it. Then I took off uh, on a couple years of travel, ended up living abroad a couple times. I backpacked around the world for a year, um, lived in Spain again. And then it was during that time when I was ready to like use my brain and start making money again. Um, and that's when I became an entrepreneur. That was the spring, January of 2011. So I'm in my 10th year and started as a nutrition coach, which was a perfect fit for me. Uh, my friends used to joke, they're like, so you essentially just tell people like what to eat and how to work out or they, or you tell people what you eat, how you work out, cater it a little bit towards them. And then they pay you for that. And I'm like, yep, that's pretty much it. Uh, I was mostly working with female runners and triathletes and cyclists. So more of the endurance, like half marathoners and up, um, space, which was, which is who I am. I'm a half marathoner. Mm -hmm. so I loved it. And then that was my first, I've had two big pivots in my business. So that was my first one to transition from health coaching. Then I started doing more strategy work and operations with clients. That came about because as I was doing health coaching, I was launching programs, creating online courses in different masterminds. Um, and not that it matters. This was like 2011. 2012, 2013, so like the internet wasn't as busy and loud as it is now mm. with coaches and masterminds and programs and all that sort of stuff. Not that I was the first by any means, but just there weren't as many right now. They're just like all over the place. Yeah. And so I was in a couple groups and I would have people just, because um, most people when they get into a business or they start a business, it's because they love doing something. They love creating, they love the magic of it. They're like, I just want to do the thing. Nobody gets in, not a lot of people get into business for the business side of it. Like actually operating and running a business and either I'm really good at it. Like I was born with that sort of thinking, you know, the, the way you had to think about it with your brain or the fact that I worked on political campaigns, which was a lot of the same skill set, the project management, building a timeline, working backwards, juggling like three or four different things at once. Um, you know, having to keep a lot of balls in the air at the same time. I was really good at that sort of like operations and strategy and okay, you have a course, you want it to look like this. Let's work backwards. Let's figure out what you need to do. How are you going to do it? How are you going to market it? How are you going to put it out there? Well, this can lead to that. And then you can use this to do that. Blah, blah, blah. And so people would start just asking me for help, which of course I said, yes, I always got paid. Um, but it was always just like kind of on this, like a side thing, mm. but I loved it. And then it started to become more of a side thing and it started to pay really like more, you know, better and better. And then I was doing once off projects and people would say, Oh, actually, can you, you know, come in house for our launch for six weeks and just like be another set of hands. And then the next project opportunity that popped up, someone would say, Oh, can you do this? But like, can you help us out for three months? Um, and it just kept growing and growing and growing. And then I, so that's when I pivoted and the sort of face of my business became operations and strategy. 
Mm -hmm. small businesses and entrepreneurs. Um, did that for a number of years. And then sort of one of my clients or someone who reached out to me to have a strategy session to be another set of eyes and ears on her business, brought me down to Florida. She's an influencer. Um, this was a few years ago. So again, it was like before influencers really were everywhere like they are now. It was not like as much of a word as it is. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even like, honestly, I was like, that influencers Kim Kardashian. Like I didn't know anything mm. beyond. You're just like, oh yeah, they're like these famous people who have millions of followers. Um, and so when I was down there, they were we were looking at our business. It was right around right before Mother's Day, so it was like kind of nowish um, a few years ago. And she had two opportunities come in, and she was like, "Go pretend you're my manager. Like you respond because we were talking about her rates, and you know nobody likes asking for money for themselves, and it's mm. personal and all that." So I was like, oh, okay, that's, you know, sure. So I responded on her behalf, um, asked for like three times what she would have asked for. And I thought, well, you know, if they want a quick turnaround. We already just talked about your rates. Like you're already undercharging yourself. Both brands said yes without a blink of an eye, which made me look really good. So that was awesome. Oh my God. Um, and she, I think we, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was like, you know, she would have asked for 800 bucks and I asked for 3,500 kind of thing. Like it was a significant amount of money. Yeah. And then when I was leaving, she asked me if I would be her manager. We got along like a house on fire. We had a ton of fun. Um, it was cool. Like I love figuring stuff out. I love learning new things, like being resourceful. Uh, this was just new territory to me. So it's all sort of stuff that intrigues me and like really kind of excites me around business. So I said, yes. And I just loved her. I was like, I would love the idea of just continuing to be doing something with you. Mm. Um, so I said, yes. And again, it was like, I was still doing operations and strategy. This was on the side, but I never talked about it. And then she has, so I have nine women that I represent now. I think all, but maybe three or four of them came through her. Her name's Lorraine Laddish of Viva 50. And she just kept referring. It wasn't so much like she would refer me people, but it was, she would just, she's very open and honest. And she would just start you know, she would just talk about what she did or what she's doing mm. and she mentioned a manager and you know an agent and people would, like there's not a lot of me out there um for more of the boutique size you know there's of course like caa in la for all the hollywood people but for smaller um size followings and more micro influencers there are not a lot of boutique agencies like people and i do this full time it's like 100 percent commission um there's not a lot of me out there so Anytime she mentions me, I always like, I know because then I'll have people pop in my inbox and they're like, are you taking new clients? What's your deal? Like, can I work with you? Like, how does this work? Yeah. Um, so she's referred me a ton of people just by nature of talking about me, which I'm forever grateful to her. And so that is, and so then a couple years ago, the, the agency side, which of course I wasn't really talking about because it was like a side thing, got, it got to a point where I had a number of clients on retainer for my strategy work, which I loved. And I was like, you know what? I just love this though. Like, I think this is where it's at. Um, and even though my journey seems very non-linear, I was like, it's got me here. And I know that one to two to three, I was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. And so a couple years ago, I stopped all my retainer clients with nice committed income. <laughs> I just leaned full on into the agency. So you are a hundred percent commission with what you do. Yeah. I will say disclosure. Um, 
when I work with a new client, the first three months we do retainer and 10% commission. Um, and that is just to help them get organized. We usually update their media kit. I start mm -hmm. putting um, their name out to my contacts and clients, depending on where their business is. Sometimes it just takes a little while for money to start coming in just because of the sales cycle and nature of the business. So right. it's mostly just to cover my time and honestly for them to have some skin in the game because they need to in the way that I operate. But after that, it's all just straight 20% commission. So cool. Okay. Yeah. So so I'm really curious, you, like you said, you have nine clients right now. What do you look for? I mean, you probably have people knocking down your door. You come across people. What do you look for? What are the key factors where you're like, oh yeah, I can work with this person. They've got what it takes or they, they're going to have what it takes. What are those factors? Yeah, great question. So it's very nuanced. Um, okay. There's no, it's not totally black or white. There is, I mean, the obvious thing is like you have to be making money. I work off commission. So like I need my clients making money. Yeah. I want to make a lot of money. And if I'm making a lot of money, it means my clients are making a lot of money. So I need any prospective person to already have incoming business. Okay. All of my clients have other elements to the business, whether they make ads off their website, they are authors. So they get book advances and royalties. Um, they have coaching programs and mentoring programs and courses that they sell affiliate things. I don't touch any of that. So I specifically need them making, you know, ideally in the dream world, um, what I would look for right now in a client is probably like 150,000 in brand partnerships or talking like keynote talks. Okay. Um, just do the math on, you know, what I want to make and to take 20% of that. It's easy to figure out like where I need my clients to be. So anywhere from, you know, it's a flow. So five to 10 to 15,000 a month on average. Right. Um, so there's that. Um, now that being said, I have clients that are not at that level, but there is, they're definitely on the way. Uh -huh. And so the other element of it, besides just the straight business number side of it is, is just a personality. And that is something I just figure out with questions and conversation. Um, mm. Are they a hustler? Are they fierce? Are they confident? Are they okay taking risk? Are they okay talking about money? Do they trust me? Do they understand that in order to go further, we go together? Um, are they hands off or a micromanager? You know, are they like a total control person? And um, my clients are not control people because it wouldn't work if they're like, you know, on me. Like they have to, anytime an inbound request comes in, yeah. And we'll say, okay, Ella, like, thanks so much for reaching out on behalf of Lorraine. Like, um, or if you were my client, you'd be like, hey, such and such brand, thanks for reaching out. I'm going to connect you to my manager, Joanna. You can mm. put me on. They have to trust, and they do trust, all my communication moving forward. That I follow mm -hmm. up, that I stay on top of it, that I'm asking for as much as possible, that I'm being pleasant and friendly on their behalf. So I need that trust um, and not for them to be like, did you follow up? Did you do it? What did they say? What happened? It's like whoa, like calm down. So a lot of those things, um, happen just in, we kind of flirt and date a little bit before we, um, you know, commit and sign an agreement to partner up together. It's yeah. also part of the reason I have the retainer and I do a three month partnership at the beginning. Yeah. Um, because it, it may not work, you know, like people may be asked and I have my filters and ask them all the questions. And then all of a sudden, like something comes in and they become a completely different person, you know, an opportunity arises. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Or maybe something comes in and I'm like, I don't think you should do it because it's not a good brand fit or it's not enough money or the brand is being too needy. They're a, you know, a pain in the ass. And if they're like, no, we have to do it. Like we have to say yes. If they just have this mindset of like grippiness around money and scarcity, well, then that's also a no for me as well. So, so yeah, it's, that's usually how um, we come to be. And a lot of times people have already opted into knowing that they want an agent. Mm. they know that they have to, most part they know they have to be at a certain level just like which every person has their own level right every agent has their own level of like what what they want their clients to be at in order to partner so and i know this is going to be a question that's on mo a lot of people's minds but so when you're working with somebody how big a factor does their current following uh, whether it be on their social, like on their YouTube, their Instagram, their email list, their whatever, how big of a factor does that play versus like the fact that they've got something established, they're making five to 15K, like, is that something you look at? Absolutely, because one sort of behooves the other. Right. So most of the time, now this isn't totally true, but most of the time in the world that I operate and move in, they have to have the numbers to get those brand deals. Mm, yeah, yeah. So it would be a very interesting, rare scenario. And of course, I can't say never because I because never say never. But I'm trying to think of a situation where someone could be making money as an influencer, but not have numbers on their social. Like it just wouldn't make sense. Maybe they have, you know, 3,000 Twitter followers, but they have 60,000 Instagram. Right. Or they have, you know, 10 whatever, 600 followers on fight on Facebook, but they'll have a million people on YouTube. They definitely mm. don't have to have them across all platforms. Um, in fact, my clients kind of, all of them have Instagram. And then after that, they, the other sort of the secondary one they have is all different. Um, they all have a blog. So they all exist outside. Like if social media went down, they would still be able to create content and they would still own their brand, mm. which, is, which is really important. Like if someone came to me and had a ton of followers on Instagram and just Instagram, I would be a little nervous because right. when Instagram goes down, like you've got nothing. Then this is a really good point. I, I primarily work with businesses and entrepreneurs in terms of helping them build their social presence in order mm -hmm. to spread their message, reach more yep. people, turn their followers into clients, right? And one of the biggest things we talk about is like, <clears throat> excuse me, is like, hey, social is incredible. But yep. if I'm searching like, you know, a social media manager on Google, your Instagram profile won't pop up, even though that might be in your bio or something like it's not SEO friendly. Yep. So having that presence where if I search you, I can find you. And then I can also, you can lead me to your social, you can lead me to your Facebook group so I can get more of you. Super, super important. A hundred percent. And there's a lot of talk right now. Um, and I think really in the past couple of years that blogging is sort of dead, like blogging is not really the way to do it anymore. Nobody really reads blogs what's your take on that? And do you find, do you encourage your clients to, or I guess, would you prefer if you're going to take on a new client, they have more of a written or a video blog presence? Ooh, good question. I absolutely disagree with that. I do not think blogging is dead. Oh yeah. Same. Uh, yeah. yeah. I'm like, I feel like people who say that only have social media. Or <laughs> I just don't want to start a blog and I want to feel okay about not starting it. Right, right, exactly. Right. They're like, yeah. I just want to justify my, my thought process. Um, all of my clients are, I mean, right, who's to say who like the OG bloggers are, but all of my clients 
or I should say most of my clients have been OG bloggers, air quotes, for years before there was social media, when their brand was only a blog post and you know, you, they had YouTube. So, I mean, and I say this when I go to conferences with them or I mention them, people are always like, oh my God, I've been following them for you know, literally like 15 years, 12 years. So, and I see um, brands ask for blog posts all the time. For, like you were talking about if someone's just searched social media manager, Instagram's not SEO friendly, but for that same reason, uh -huh. brands, it would be in their best interest to have blog posts because it's evergreen content and it's searchable. Exactly. Yeah. And it doesn't disappear in 24 hours, right? It's like buried so quickly on social. Yeah. So, um, so I completely disagree that it's dead. I also think, and I know, you know, who knows whenever people are listening to this episode, but as we record it, we are at stay at home orders uh -huh. and blog consumption, long form content consumption, which is blog posts and longer YouTube videos. I don't have numbers on my fingertips, but it's like, it's up like 124% the way, because people are home, they're searching, they have time in their hands and it's specific to industries. Instead of just like scrolling and looking at a pretty picture of a recipe on Instagram, people are like, okay, how do I make that apple pie that I've been eyeing yeah. forever? How do I do that DIY project of making a, you know, bedroom dresser instead of scrolling at on Instagram DIY profiles and just liking a really cool, pretty before and after picture? So, if there's ever a time now that is a benefit, to, or I should say, now as again as we record this, whenever people are listening to it, but those that have longer form content, blog or video are doing much better off. Yeah. And, and so speaking on that, is there one that you prefer or that you've seen perform better versus written versus video, or is it just have one up there? Yeah. Um, pick one, pick what works for you. Yeah. I think it really just depends on the person. Like I, for example, I'm a, I'm a, like, I'm you're a writer. I'm a writer. Yeah. So for me, like I wouldn't watch video. I would rather read the process. Like I want to read the recipe. I don't want to watch a video about the recipe, mm. but I think it's just, personal preference for consumption and then also how the face behind the brand, how they are. Yeah. Really is determined, um, you know, by both, but also if they're able to, to have both again, the written word is great because you get SEO evergreen content, you can rank over time and same thing like YouTube. What is it like YouTube and Pinterest are the two biggest search engines after Google. Yeah. So having content there makes sense. Totally. Oh, I love it. Okay. So if someone's listening to this and they're like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to start a blog. I need to get this going. Yeah. Is there a certain, um, I guess like, like a, like technicalities, is there a platform you'd recommend mm -hmm. that you like to start one? And is also, is there a certain flow in terms of, do I have to say in this niche, if I have a blog, like when you're, and when you're working with influencers, when you're picking your clients, do you want them to be specifically in one niche or if they bounce around a bit, is that okay? How does that look to you? Cool. Um, so to your first question, there are a few platforms out there. You've got WordPress, which has been around forever that everyone knows about. There's Squarespace. There's Wix, which is W-I-X. Yeah. I want to say there's another one. Are you familiar, Ella, with another one? I, I mean, there's, there's, there's quite a few. Um, I'm, yeah. those, those are definitely the three I see the most right, often. Right. But is yeah. there one you prefer? Yeah, my, so my preference is Squarespace. Okay, but awesome. That's just, like, that's just my, it's simple, it's clean. 
WordPress has all those plugins. Like you change one thing, your whole thing goes kaput. Mm. Um, a lot of times you have to outsource it to a designer to do. So then it's like hard to do changes. It becomes expensive. Um, Square, Squarespace, you can customize and you can go down that whole rabbit hole as well. But I just love how simple and clean and easy it is. Yeah. Yeah. And it, when it comes to what people are blogging about, and, and I'm curious about this with, with how you pick clients, do you want your clients to be, whether they're established or not, like in one niche and going to stick there? Or do, are, do they bounce around a little bit? Like maybe talk about some like health and lifestyle, their marriage, all of that stuff, or along right. with fitness, which is kind of their thing. Or what right. is that like? Yeah. So I would say generally it is in their best interest to stay in the lane. Yeah because they can build a following that way. They build their credibility and expertise in a space. So that way brands will be like, oh, um, like we're looking for someone who, you know, really is great with, with social media managers. Like, you know, when Ella comes on the radar, like mm. it, they, they would get it because they would go to your website, they'd see your content, they'd see your work and they'd be like, oh, she knows what she's talking about. But if you talk about recipes one day and then your website one day and social media one day, and then your kids the next day, you're diluting your expertise across the board, mm. and it's not, which is fine to do. If you just want to write to write and you just want to write whatever you want to write about, like good on you, do it. But yeah. if you're looking to do this to build a brand and, you know, have some sort of business out of it, be it coaching clients or partnerships or become a keynote speaker or whatever it is, it makes sense to stay in a specific spot. The only caveat is the like lifestyle influencer because this is this huge umbrella. Yeah. It, yeah. It's like I, people are like, I'm a lifestyle creator. And I'm like, okay, but what? within that, you almost have to have like a subcategory. Yeah. Because yeah. if you say like food, you're like, I got it. If you say travel, I got it. If you say like finance or money, I got it. I'm a mommy blogger, got it. Um, or a parenting expert, I should say. But if you're in lifestyle, it's like, it could be, so I have three clients that are in the lifestyle space. One of them has a bent that's more, fashion, makeup, travel, like luxury things. She does do some parenting stuff just by nature of her background. And she's a former TV host and Emmy nominated TV presenter. So that's just oh. sort of what's come with her as she's developed her brand over the years. But she tends to do more content around fashion, beauty, that's that part of lifestyle. Then I have another client, Lorraine, the one I mentioned in the very beginning. She's lifestyle, but she's more um, uh, like health and fitness. Mm. So she's a yogi, so she'll do yogi things, um, fitness things, wellness things. She'll do partnerships that are health related um, and just maybe like Oakley and heart health awareness campaigns. Mm -hmm. um, she's 56, going to be 57 soon. So she'll talk about, you know, menopause things and like health related things related to women at that age. So that's more of like her bent. And then my other one, Shonda, who's also in lifestyle, hers is more um, hosting, entertaining, hair, fashion, but not fashion in like a fashion blogger kind of way, more just like everyday fashion. This is what I'm wearing. This is what I'm up to. This is where I've been shopping. Cool. I'm like taking pages of notes here. This is really, really interesting. And I like the fact that you said, like, if you're going to be lifestyle, go for it. But, you know, make sure it's like your lifestyle, like what you can add value on. Like nobody does everything when it comes right. to lifestyle, right? Totally. So, I mean, obviously you have some clients in some really high, like some really affluent positions. What are some, what, I guess when you're talking to brands, 
the way that you negotiate, is it very dependent on who the client is or are there some consistence that come up in terms of how you approach different deals? Is there anything that would be really good for people to know? I'm so curious to hear your take oh, yeah. on this because it's what you do all day. Yeah, no, there's a lot of good things to know about negotiation. Um, but at the end of the day, it's all kind of the same depending on whether it's a small, tiny brand or, you know, like a little family brand maybe that's interested in doing their first influencer partnership or it's a big brand like Dove or Walmart or Target or something that we all know. Mm. Um, or I should say international brand. Um, it's all, yeah, it's always sort of the same as like, be respectful. Mm -hmm. Don't burn your bridges. Always remember, or at least I always have to remember um, that I'm always the face of my client. So I'm always representing them. So always, you know, best foot forward. Right. Even if the client, even if the brand or the agency is being really annoying and just needy and ridiculous, it's like, duh. I just keep my mouth shut. Always yeah. respectful. Um, and always just like ask questions and be open to conversation because the person that I'm usually speaking with, right? So I'm a messenger for my clients and the person mm -hmm. that I'm speaking with, you know, let's say Dove reaches out and they're like, Hey, Joanna, we're interested in your client, Jeanette. We have this new shampoo for curly hair. We'd love her to try it and write about it, share her experience. It's, you know, they're reaching out on behalf of Dove, but they are an account executive within a bigger agency, mm. the Chicago office, who's one office of 12 of this, you know, tens of thousands of people that are employed by this one agency and one, and Dove has like outsourced, we want to connect with, you know, Latinas. So we're going to outsource specifically this kind of marketing to this office and within that office like this, or with this agency to this, to the Chicago office. So it's like, you just have to remember, it's just, it's just another human being. Like you're not actually talking to Dove or mm -hmm. anyone close to it per se. Um, so they are just there as a messenger and on behalf of the brand. So asking questions, being open, um, remembering everything is negotiable, right? If they come in, they're like, we want A, B, and C, we have $10,000, yes or no. Okay, well maybe your rate for all those things would be $20,000. So you can either try and get to 15, you can ask for 20, Maybe you cut down on negotiable, on, on deliverables. Like, let's say, I don't know, I'm just making this up, but let's say they want three blog posts and they only have 10,000 and you'd be like, well, that would really cost you 20,000. Well, you can say, okay, well, if you really only have 10,000, then I'd like to, um, you know, it, the, the best fit for whoever client I'm speaking of would be, um, you know, it, are the, is the brand flexible on the deliverables? So how about if the budget is maxed out at 10,000, let's do two blog posts and like, cut down on an extra set of Instagram stories or something mm. like that. So um, just asking a lot of questions and looking at the whole scope of what's presented to you. And, and even if you're a keynote speaker and you don't do influencer marketing or you're not, you know, you don't partner with brands, they want you to give a 90 minute keynote talk and they only have $10,000 and you're like, my rate would be 20, negotiate it down to a 60 minute talk. Or they buy a set of books and they give a book to everybody if you have a book or, you know, another product that they can purchase from you. So there's always ways to look at every opportunity and negotiate all the different elements to it. And that's the same if you're in corporate and you're in business and you can't get your salary request, 
ask for more paid time off, off, ask for flexibility wow. from home, yeah. ask for you know different healthcare coverage, ask for them to include dental or vision or something like that. So always, always, always trying to go. And even if they come in, they, you know, you, you hear from Dove or your boss and they're like, we want to give you a raise. And you're like, I hope it's 10,000. I hope it's 10,000. And they're like, you have $10,000. You're like, don't say yes. You're excited. Don't say yes. You know, ask for 20, like just always use it as an opportunity to to practice negotiating. Okay. Oh, this is something I'm so curious about. So almost all entrepreneurs I know, whether it's an influencer or a, uh, like a social media manager, whatever, mm-hmm. everyone has confusion around charging. Yes. What should oh, yeah. I be charging? What's the going rate? So the question, like part A of my question is like, how do you determine the rate that you charge for your clients? Mm-hmm. And when you're in these negotiations, like obviously there's a bit of a finesse to how you're going back and forth, right? Because it has to be sort of this open, you know, light, like cooperative conversation. So Uh yeah, how do you, so like, A, how do you know what you should charge for your clients? And just even for you as an entrepreneur, how do you calculate that and get rid of confusion there? And then when it comes to these conversations, what's, what, what, like, what strategies do you use? So it's very nice and easy and flowy, but, and everyone's still getting a good deal, Mm -hmm. um, without it being crazy stressful or one person's putting down the hammer or whatever. Right. 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 Um, yeah. One person just like throwing the gauntlet down. They're like, no. Um, so your first question about what to charge for rates. So when I came in with my, with, with each individual client, whenever we start working together, you know, I'll ask them like, what are you charging? I have been in this long enough to know now a, cu- a couple years, which I feel like kind of makes me a dinosaur in this space, right? Cause it's like social media, social media things. It's a year for like four years. You're like already old. Um, where we are now with each of them is they have set rates that have been established prior to my coming into their world. Because remember they already have been doing this. Right. So they already had rates. Every single one of them, I took their rates and I asked for more. Okay. One, because they hadn't raised their rates in a long time. And B, it's easier for me to ask for more money on behalf of them than they, then, you know, it's, it's easier to have someone else ask for something because if I did, I'd be like, oh my God, do you mind? Please, is it possible? You know, it's like very yeah. personal. So, you know, if so, so, so after I started having a couple clients, you know, client number four, client number five, client number six, I would see their numbers and I'd see their rates and I would just know essentially what the market can bear and what is out there by nature mm. of client one, two, and three. It is nuanced every single time. I had a call this morning um, with a brand and they, so I was like, okay, well the blog post rate is $3,000. They're like, we have, you know, is there, that's too much money. Like, can you do 1500? And I was like, no, because A, I just know all the work that goes into it that my client's going to do the value and worth to them, my client. And then also just to know that 1500 is like what they're getting is a steal for 1500. It's like, so I can say no, but, but if they came back and they're like, okay, well, could you meet us at 2000? I know my client would say yes to 2000 because the reality is she wants 2,500 and I just asked for three. So Uh I know that 2000 works. Um, it is different every single time. You have your numbers as a, I mean, I don't do this anymore because I know all my clients' rates, but essentially every single time I would get on a brand call, 
I would pull up their document and I would be on the phone and I would just have it right in front of my face. So I could just look and I could say the number without having to think twice about mm. what it was. Um, it changes though. If a brand, you know, some people think, oh, it's a national brand. They have a ton of money. Like they can afford more than that. You don't know how much, yes, could they in theory? Absolutely. But you don't know how much is allocated. You don't know that they're like, you know, they gave an agency $20,000 and they're like, we want these pieces of content. And the brand's like, okay, we only have this much money to work with. Mm. I can't fight Walmart to get more money for an, you know, for an activation. Um, but I can argue and make the case to get as much of that pot as possible that they're offering. So I say that just for people to know that your number is going to change or I'm sorry, your number may not change, but be flexible as to what you may get paid if you are an influencer every single time. Um, or even if you're managing and taking on new clients for client work, you know, for maybe a short-term project or like on a retainer, it may mm. differ from client to client just because of what makes sense. And, and you should always be asking more every single time. So the other thing I wanted to say about this was, um, you just have to start by asking and starting with a number. And if you ask for a number, okay, that's gonna be a thousand dollars. You're like, oh great, no problem. You've gone too low. Oh. Now you know. You can't go back in that moment, you will not get more than a thousand dollars, but you're like, okay, great. So next time I'm gonna ask for 1,300, 1,500, mm. 1,750. You just keep like nudging it up a little bit more every single time um, until maybe, you, you know, you get to a point where you're asking for 3,000 and you get a bunch of no's and you're like, okay, so 3,000 is like, it's the ceiling right now, but keep yeah. asking for it. Keep asking for it. You know, someone will break and give it to you. And then you're like, cool. The next time you ask for 3,100, because then like, for example, on the call that I had earlier today, when I asked for 3,000 and they wanted to pay 1,500, I know that she, my client has gotten paid 3000 and more for what they were asking for. Mm. So to, to, I felt comfortable to say, no, that's below their going rate. I'm happy to be flexible, but that is below like what they're willing to do this for. Mm. But that only just comes with time and practice. So don't be hard on yourself. You just have to keep trying. And when you're having those negotiations, especially <clears throat> in those sort of discovery stages where maybe it's your first couple clients or your first couple jobs or whatever, do you recommend asking them like, Hey, it sounds like you have a budget in mind. Uh, you yes. know, what does that look like? Do you yes. recommend getting something from them initially to get a yes. feel for it or putting your stuff out there first? Um, we'll always ask it. To, they, you know, hit or miss if they're going to tell you. Right. But yes. So that was actually the second part of your question. I was just trying, I was like, I think there was another question I forgot to answer. Um, I don't forget. I, I forget what it was though. There was a two part, but yeah, it was about, um, how to ask and how to finesse. So yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. The negotiation process. Yeah. Okay, okay. So yes. And that actually is a perfect segue to my answer, which is ask questions because when you ask mm -hmm. questions and I think this is part of what makes people feel nervous about negotiation is they like, if you picture yourself standing normally, you know, there's times when you're stressed and you just feel yourself like moving forward and your weight is on your toes and you're kind of like ready to pounce. And then there's times when you feel like you're back up against a wall because your weight is on your heels. So you have less a way to be nimble and less way to pivot. When you ask questions, you put yourself on the front of your toes again. So you can be more flexible, more responsive. Mm. So, and it's very friendly. It's very disarming to ask questions. 
And, and, and my other thing, which is not a question, but to say, can you tell me more about that? Not a question. I realize that's not a question, but um, that is another good response to put the, put the ball back on the other person's court. If they say, oh, well, we may be interested in more blog posts or um, there may be an, up, an opportunity to do, you know, an additional presentation to our, our leadership team or, you know, we may have flexibility with budget. Tell me more about that. What did that look, what could that look like? Mm. you know can you speak to that a little bit and then as you ask those questions you're just going to get more information so you don't have to make a decision if someone says oh we'd be open to multiple blog posts mm. and then you're like oh okay well um i mean do you want three do you want four do you want two like do you think you could do three for um you know like eight thousand or do you think that'd be better you know all of a sudden you're just like well because you're you don't know what multiple blog posts means to them but if you say tell me more about multiple blog posts. What could that look like? Yeah. I'll give you information. And then you're like, okay, well, they would give me 2000 for one. I asked for three or they want to give me 1500 for one. I asked for three. We got to 2000. So if they want to do four, you know, you, you have something, you have more information to work with. And like I said, it's very disarming. Mm. Um, chances are most of the time, at least in my experience, the people on the other end of the phone, the ones that are calling with the offer, and the opportunity are just as nervous to talk about money and don't want to negotiate. So they are just and equally as nervous as you are mm. to have the conversation. So I say that as a reminder not to give away and be intimidated by this power and confidence that you think they have. It's not a knock on them. They're just as human as you are and just as nervous. Mm. But just like remember that they're probably nervous and they just want you to say yes so they can get the heck off the phone call and like go tell their boss they did the job and they got the thing done um and the only reason i know that is because when i start talking about money and people are like oh um okay well i have to you know i gotta like i gotta check the team and let me see um you know they start stuttering you're like oh you're just as nervous as i mm -hmm. may be in this situation <laughs> um so asking questions is great if you can ask for a budget range Instead mm. of saying, what's the budget for this? If you say, or what's your salary, you know, what's your salary for this? If you say, what's your salary range for this? Or um, how does this fit into your marketing budget allocation? If you're doing client project work, right? Uh, you know, what is your, what is your budget range for this partnership? What are your expectations? Um, it sometimes gets answered. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh, again, nobody wants to like give the number first. But yeah, so asking questions is a great way to sort of put the ball back in the other court. Um, the other thing too is if you, so let's say you threw out a number mm -hmm. or someone says, oh, well, we, we were actually hoping to hear from you first, or we were actually curious to hear, um, you know, what you would charge for this or what's your rate for this or, you know, what salary do you want or whatever the question is. Yeah. Um, you have two options. Okay. You can say your number. Um, again, let's say you want $10,000. So you're like $10,000 and let's say their max budget is 5,000 and they say, Whoa, okay, well, um, we won't, we only have $5,000. You're like, okay, cool. Well, you asked me my number. That's my number. Let's talk about what we could do for 5,000. Mm -hmm. Or you can ask for something and let's say it's like totally off the charts for them. And they're like, Oh, wow. We only had $450 and you asked for 10,000, 
you could say, oh, well, you know, I just like asking for a lot of money, right? Like I got a lot of, I got a lot of dreams or I got a lot of plane tickets I want to buy. You know, you can add a touch of humor in there to lighten it up and make mm. it feel less awkward. Um, if you wanted 10,000 or you asked for 10,000 and you wanted five and they have 450, walk away from the deal. It's not worth it. Yeah. yeah. Unless it's like Oprah or Barack Obama or Michelle Obama or something. Um, but you can just say your number and then you still have the control to be honest when they come back and say, that's too high for us. Great. Mm. Tell me what works for you. Again, you pivot back because I feel like people then that's where people, that's the awkwardness that people feel is that they're like, Oh my God, I sent 10,000. They said, no. Ah, like, what do I do? Yeah. Cool. Well now, now, you know, my number. Now I know where you're coming from. Tell me more about what we could do for 5,000. Or now you can honestly say, tell me more of your budget so I can come up with an appropriate proposal for you. Again, questions, questions. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And, um, and to wrap this up, cause we only got a few more minutes here, but let's say somebody wants to reach out to, maybe it's a client, maybe it's a brand, maybe it's like they want to work with the brand or work with this new client or whatever. What would you say? I mean, before they get into negotiations, what would you say is a good way to reach out to someone that will usually be well received? Cause I imagine you do a fair amount of cold, mm -hmm. like, you know, of, of, you know, somewhat cold pitching on yeah. behalf of your clients and even with yourself. And yep. the reason I asked this is I got this message today that just made me cringe. Uh, I was like, you know, I, I was checking my LinkedIn and I had this DM in there and there was this DM from somebody I must have just connected with. And it was like, Hey Ella, great to connect. My business name is LMA and Associates. Can LMA and Associates handle any more projects right now? Mm. And I was like, man, I don't know if you're like trying to trick me into saying yes and pitch me your services or if you genuinely are interested in becoming a client. Right. I hate that. Like, yeah. I'm going to be like, yes, but like, what do you want? Like, yeah. what, like, you know, so how do you go about reaching out to somebody new, uh, especially if it's cold? Cause that can be awkward. Totally. Um, especially on LinkedIn. I feel like people just slide into those like LinkedIn's with like, yeah, they'll be like, dear Joanna B. Boss Agency. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. really? Like, You're like, thanks, LinkedIn bot. Okay. I, I, exactly. You're like, this is not a real human. I'm not even going to bother responding. Yeah. Um, so how do I do? Okay, yeah. So one, you can't have attachment to the outcome. Oh, I love that. Email and be like, oh my God, why didn't they write me back? No, no, yeah. no. These people are human. You don't know where the email went. You don't have an assistant reading. Like, who knows? Um, I would do your research a little bit, right? It's like basic stuff, like find their social media pages, find their websites, have they written articles, read some of their articles. Do they have a book out? Do they have YouTube? Um, you know, they've spoken at conferences. Like you don't have to know their entire life history. Don't be a stalker, but just know a little bit about them. Like, live in, you know, you and I are in the same time zone. I'm like, oh, where do you live? Because I always ask people that because you don't, most people operate off Eastern time, right? So then I'm in Denver. Mm -hmm. So when I hear someone else in mountain time zone, I'm like, oh, cool. Where do you live? Like I feel an automatic connection to them. Yeah. Um, so just knowing a little bit about them, like look at their past few social media posts and like they just had a birthday or they just celebrated a big win or whatever the case may be. Um, lead with that. If it's a brand or um, like a big agency and they've won an award or, you know, see what hashtags they use. Like maybe they have a time sensitive campaign they're doing for two months. Like, oh, I love your 
hashtag, I don't know, I'm making this up because I have gray hair, like, you know, Silver Sisters Unite campaign. I don't know, like something, right? Something, whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. Something, like, I, I've been totally digging it, like, so appreciate you normalizing gray hair for women that are, like, in their 40s or, or whatever. Mm. Um, you know, make, just make a real human life connection. Like, a real, just a real person. Yeah. Um, keep it short. Don't pitch them your entire idea. I want you to hire me for X, Y, and Z, A, B, and C, and here's why, blah, blah, blah. Like, you don't even know if they're open for business for that. Yeah. Um, so what I usually do after doing just like a basic mention or two is, um, you know, here's why I'm reaching out. I'm reaching out on behalf of my client, Ella. Mm. We're interested in A, B, and C. I would love to know how your influencer program works, what expectations you have, and what opportunities you have on the horizon. What opportunities do you have coming up in the summer? Because a lot of campaigns are planning like, I don't know, things either seem super last minute or they're like, I've signed clients for stuff in July and August already. So it's like, okay. Um, so, you know, what, what campaigns, what opportunities do you have coming up in Q2 and Q3 of 2020? I'd love to hear more about them. Do you have 10 minutes for a phone call? How do I get on your calendar to make this happen? Mm, I love that. And then they'll be like, great, here's my executive assistant or here's my Calendly link or whatever. Like give them an action that is doable. Yeah. Um, the other thing, oh gosh, I was just going to say something. Um, oh, the other thing could be, um, you know, if you want to speak at someone's conference, mention their, you know, past conference, like, oh, I love that you had it in Dallas. I love Dallas. Or I love the speaker or so-and-so recommended your conference to me and I've been keeping an eye on it. You know, when are your speaker applications open? Who's the best person to talk to about that? Who's heading up your program committee? I'd love to hear what themes you're thinking of for 2021. Mm -hmm. um, again, ask them neutral, real questions instead of just like word vomiting all over them with like, here's my project, here's my idea, I want you to hire me and here's why I'd be so great. Like if they aren't interested, aren't in the mood for a social media manager, well then there's gonna be like delete versus I've been following you. I love your social media. I noticed you started doing X. Um, I have a couple ideas that have come to mind. Like you remind me of these other brands or I love these colors or this really speaks to me because of this. Um, mm. I'd love to know like who you work with. Why yeah. do you hire them? Um, are you expanding your team? Do you have any upcoming projects maybe that are short term to that need just like an extra marketing eye or I don't know, you know, you can just, again, if you think of it as just flirting, I feel like people yeah. think they can get married and I'm like, you wouldn't get married on one date. Like enjoy the dating process. Yeah, I know yeah. like flirt with a brand, like flirt with a company. Don't get business married yet. <laughs> I love it. Oh my God. This has been so valuable. I really want to have you on for a round two. There's like 14,000 more questions I have. Um, but I mean, in the meantime, where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you? Well, I am always hanging out on the gram. It's nice. Joanna Voss, J-O-H-A-N-N-A. -N -N -A. B as in vegetable, O-S-S, -S, just like the water. No relation though. Um, yeah, that's where I'm always hanging out. You can see all my clients there and find all my other stuff from Instagram. I love it. Okay, cool. So we're going to have all of Joanna's information linked in the show notes below. Thank you so much for being here. This was amazing. 
And I, we always do a couple rapid fire questions at the end. Oh, yeah. We'll just do one because I know you, you. I know you're on a timeline. Yeah, no, so, you can give me a couple. Okay. Okay. Perfect. So first rapid fire question: If you could have dinner with anybody, dead or alive, real or fictional, who would it be and why? Queen Elizabeth. Oh. Because okay. that woman has seen and experienced so many things, world events. She's had what, 12 prime ministers. She's seen um, her country through wars. She's seen her territory through wars. Um, The world now is very different from when she became queen. She's navigated royal family scandal. I was very impressed with how she pivoted and handled the Meghan and Harry situation for being Mm. an older woman of an older, probably pre-baby boomer generation. Um, I was really impressed with how quickly she responded to that. So I just think sitting and talking to her would be so fascinating. Fascinating. I've never gotten that answer and I love it. What is the best thing you bought recently that costs under $100? Oh my God. A book of stamps. (laughs) Really? Yeah, I well, <laughs> I don't buy a lot of stuff. That's amazing. Um, and I love sending handwritten letters. So a book of stamps. Oh, I love also it. Also support the postal service and get a book of stamps. Oh my God, I love it. That's awesome. And last one, what is the book that you gift the most often? Ooh. Or the, po- I mean, or some people aren't like huge readers, or the podcast you recommend the most? Yes. Okay. So, um, Okay, this is, so I don't necessarily gift it because I'm like a library gal, but this is the one I've been telling all my girlfriends to read. Oh, it is legit awesome. It's called The Most Powerful Woman in the Room is You. I love it. Lydia Finney. Okay. Get this one. It's Get that the, one. It's, it's tactical. It has real life things. It's not like those woo-woo personal growth, like live your most empowered life. Um, she's an auctioneer with Christie's. Okay. So she has the most badass, like awesome stories. Oh, cool. So get this one. The most powerful woman in the room is you. Oh, I love it. This is the one I can't talking about. Awesome. Okay. We'll link that in the show notes below. Thanks again for being here. This is so valuable. And uh, who knows, maybe we might have you back for a part two, but in the meantime, keep killing it and we'll stay in touch. Awesome. Thanks, Ella. Thanks everyone for listening. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. If you aren't already following me on social media, come soak up some extra knowledge on Instagram by searching at ella.j.may. If you absolutely love what you heard today, be sure to subscribe and share your thoughts with me by leaving a review on iTunes so I can keep the good stuff coming. Or visit my website at ellajmay.com. I love and adore you so much and can't wait to connect with you in the next episode. In the meantime, go out there and kill it on Instagram.